Hey everybody, this is Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. I'm your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. I am so excited to introduce you to Tiffany Watkins today. Um, I met her through Tokativity, which if you listen to my episode a couple weeks back with Lisa Snyder, the co-founder of Tokativity, you'll have heard all about it. But basically it's this online uh event space I guess at this point that's what it is that's what it's doing Um, I met Tiffany in an online event space and even though Tiffany lives in the same state as me we've never met in person but certainly have developed a friendship Um, during these months um, I'm excited to introduce you to her she uh, is such a visionary the kind of person who like experiences a problem and just is on the frontier of getting it solved. Um, she was early in the AIDS epidemic, helping get cannabis to patients that needed it um, and create compassionate care. And now that cannabis has come so far, uh, she's now creating a media space. And truly, I think Tiffany, Tiffany knows what she's talking about. If you're anything to do with any aspect of cannabis, whether you use it or you work in it um, or somehow related to cannabis, pay attention to Vanguard Media Online. Like, really, like, hear who they're amplifying um, because the more we pay attention to the things created by people who've been in this movement for a long time, by black women, black queer women, like, the more we're going to understand different and broader perspectives of the world. Um, You know, like, there's some big... Uh, big magazines out there will say that like kind of talk about like the cannabis movement and culture but I'm more interested in what people who have really been in the fight for so long have to say and like what they're curating so I'm excited for you to get to know Tiffany better we also talk about empty nesting we talk about um, coming out uh, and we talk about just kind of living a life like being a person who is strongly convicted um, and helping to uh, bring this plant and the compassionate care to more folks Um, I'm excited to also just share with you since the holidays are coming up fast and furious, uh, my friend Mimi, who uh, listens to this podcast is making some beautiful, um, just different types of cannabis earrings, um, dab tools. Uh, I mean, what joint holders, what doesn't Mimi make basically go to pimp my pipe on Instagram and look at Mimi's creations. They're really amazing. And if you have someone who loves cannabis in your life, treat them with a cute custom piece. I have a couple for Mimi. I quite adore them. And most recently she's making crystal grids for Reiki, which I'm or for crystal grid making, which I would use for Reiki, uh, which is very exciting. So anyway, I just love my friends and their creations. So pimp my pipe on Instagram and also Harding paper company. So it's H A R D I N G paper co um this is named because the owners um who are my friends court and erie uh from the glowing goddess getaway they are a married lesbian couple who have their own paper company and they're obsessed with the office and their wedding had office theme and i believe the engagement involved getting a dundee award um i'm feeling god in this chilies tonight um anyway so they make ador- i'm just telling you about my friends but they make adorable um paper bunting so like 
um, you know, for the holidays, they have like some strands of deer and like, of course, for birthdays and socially distant things and things on Zoom, right? All of these things can be elevated with a really beautiful paper garland um, and they make banners for all sorts of uh, festive occasions um, and certainly with your custom orders uh, in mind. So Harding Paper Co. also on Instagram, they're on Etsy. Um, and I just, uh, I'm so in love with it. I love the aesthetic of like a really well done, nice paper banner. Um, I just think it elevates things. So those are two just little slides I wanted to do. Just personal friends who I know listen to this podcast and have small businesses. And I love to support small businesses. Um, and if you want to support this podcast, the best way is through my Patreon page. Uh, it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash F-K-D-P, which stands for Fat Kid Dance Party, which is my aerobics class for anyone who feels left behind by mainstream fitness. If you've ever been called too fat too much or felt too awkward to dance, this is the supportive class for you. So uh, at the 2 and $5 a month levels, you're supporting uh, the work I'm doing, this podcast, my Instagram, all the other ways in which I, I'm putting some stuff up on YouTube. Um, all of those things are supported by my Patreon supporters. I have been so just completely grateful for that support during this time and to be able to pivot and really serve people online. Um, I'm doing, um, since this year, I didn't get to tour, right? Because we had this COVID year, so we all pivoted. Um, so I teach a Zoom aerobics class that's available at any tier of support. Um, that's on Saturdays. It's so much fun. We get to check in with each other and just dance together. And it's really nice to just get together and have a grounding sort of meeting of folks. Uh, so I do that. And I also have an on-demand full membership where you get six classes at a time to choose from. I rotate out the oldest one every week. There is always a 10-minute class, a 20-minute class, two 55-minute classes, a chair class, and a 45-minute can size aerobics class, which is just like regular Facky Dance Party, but it's slower, um, more repetitive choreography, a little simpler. Um, that mood music just really took a turn. I didn't expect it to. Uh, but anyway, if you want to check that all out, it's patreon.com slash FKDP. I appreciate all of your support and I super appreciate you tuning into this podcast. I want you to imagine we're all on a per on a porch together. This is the virtual porch where uh, we've got some wicker furniture. You've got your favorite blanket from childhood. You're snuggling up with it and we're going to tuck in and get to know Tiffany Watkins. Thanks so much for joining us. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you. Um, I love to start with business in the front. So will you tell us about Vanguard Media Online and what you're doing these days? Absolutely. Well, I am the founder and CEO of Vanguard Media Online. It is a magazine and a general platform for women in the cannabis space. Um, I am so proud and so uh, humbled all at the same time uh, to be able to provide this for ladies in cannabis. I've always felt like we didn't always get all the accolades that we deserve for the product creation and the innovation and the thought process and leadership in the cannabis space. And, um, you know, I've been at cannabis for a while, uh, almost 30 years now, and nothing has really changed. So I was like, we've got to do something to uplift voices. So I decided let's just put a, a spotlight out there and let's have women parade through and talk about what it is that they do and how and why and empower them. 
And that's what that's the whole idea of Vanguard. Um, it's a movement for women in cannabis. Yeah, um, that's awesome. What's the website? It is vanguardmediaonline.com. Fantastic. Because you can never, these days, there's all the dot other things. So vanguardmediaonline.com. Very straightforward. I'll put the link down below in the episode description so you can find it. And also you're on Instagram, right? I am. And that is at vanguard underscore media underscore online. Keep it simple. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Tiffany, 30 years in the cannabis industry, tell me some tales. How did you get started and um, keep going? And how, where has that taken you? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like Look, you know, it was before industry. So I can never say, I say the cannabis space because this was long before industry. Um, it, I entered through activism and of course, uh, cannabis usage, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, as we all did, and there was just a, you know, a huge, we were in a, we were in a pandemic of AIDS and HIV and especially in the, in the queer environment and in our community, um, there was a problem and a need and, uh, the, the illness was just tremendous it was it was tremendously devastating and people were reaching out to to help themselves to have a better quality of life and cannabis was bringing that quality it was much needed and um friends friends and whom i'm considered family were struggling and suffering feeling horrible and utilizing cannabis and then on top of that being treated like criminals for doing so and there was no compassion and, uh, you know, this, this fight was preceded me, of course. Um, it, it was a long fight. And I was just, I'm just happy and proud to have been a small piece of the puzzle that helped bring compassion to the forefront. And, uh, you know, we acted within willful disobedience, or whatever you want to call it. We, we brought weed to people. We made sure they got it for free, low cost, whatever we could do to make sure that they had what helped them uh, kind of guarantee quality of life when quantity wasn't certain didn't know how long you were going to live. You've just received the, the you've just received the news that you're positive with HIV or you've, you're in the hospital or just getting home from the hospital because you've been wasting away or you're having adverse re reaction to medications or just any of the devastating effects, both physical and mental that these people were going through. And how do you sit by and watch your family suffer? And so it was a huge driving force to, to jump in and it was grassroots. We raised money to be able to get more, to buy more weed. We uh, gathered signatures by the thousands and hundreds and thousands as much as we could to help other people fighting larger fights. We traveled, we did speeches, we held rallies. Um, we, you know, held space in front of the Capitol in many areas um, and did what we could just to, to make sure that, that our friends and family were taken care of and not treated like criminals. And that's where it started. That's where my passion comes from of helping people because this plant helps people. Um, and uh, on through the years, of course, there was times where we acted 
um, on behalf of cannabis, but we did it from the shadows because, you know, we were still either college students or we still had to work and things like that. And it wasn't an industry for us to come out and go, hey, this is where I work. This is how I work, right? And just kind of building into that. And then as, as it became stronger that we were going to have laws that would allow us to have collectives where we could still help people um, by uh, collecting our monies and our grows and things like that, that was wonderful, a great environment. And then it just bridged into this regulated market, which I will quite transparently, transparently and honestly say is not always the greatest. We're heavily taxed, we're too governed, it's, it's, it's a lot. Um, but it's a it's far from where we it's far from where we began, and I'm grateful for the momentum. But uh, there's a lot of work to be done, and uh, I intend to still be a part of that change, you know. And that brings me to today. This is the those are the stepping stones and the driving force to why I feel that there needs to be some place for persons of color and women um, to be able to share what they've done and uh, pump up what it is that they currently do and uh, just kind of receive that recognition and uh, be able to press forward and feel empowered. Like there's something behind them that's pushing them as well. Pro propulsion, it's, uh, it's key in this because we're out there all dealing with the same product. And uh, I think propulsion is something that women don't always get. There's a lot of that out there and hey, you've got this for men and and not as much and not enough for us women. So I just said it, it steamrolled into this and who knows if in the next 10 years, what it will steamroll into. But I'll tell you this, I'll always be helping people with this plant. I don't see that as ever changing. Uh, that's so awesome. I love that you were just out there doing what was right rather than what was legal. Cause those things don't, I just want to say this for everyone listening. Those things do not always align. <laughs> If you watch any of the Harry Potter movies um, during a time when the government is blundering, like your government, wherever you live, because there's people who listen to this from all over the world, it is just such a stark reality that like governments don't exist necessarily for the best interests of the people and are certainly not empathetic to the best interests of the people. Um, so I'd love that you were out there just taking it into your own hands, Order of the Phoenix style. Now I'm getting very Harry Potter. Um, uh, but just just doing it and and bringing that compassionate care to people. Um, Tiffany, I'm going to ask you to be a visionary for a minute and just tell me, like, ideally, like, what does the landscape look like if we're able to just topple everything and start fresh with cannabis? Like, what does it look like? How do people have access? And and how does that look, right? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, and uh, the vision is pretty clear for me. Um, based on what we've had to deal with and uh, what, how we've been influenced, I think that if all this walls, all these walls were torn down, that the first thing we'd have to do is rebuild with education and um, people understanding the true efficacies of the plant and its usage, the multitude of things that can be done with, with, this, with this herbal plant, right? Um, and just kind of that understanding of how the plant works with our systems. I think that we just need to really go, we would go back to the bare bones of cannabis, the endocannabinoid system, uh, lifestyle and choice. Because I feel like all those things over the years have been snatched away and oppressed for so long that we don't even know where we stand within it. And we're out there making big decisions based off of dollar signs because we don't even know where we stand 
in positioning with this plant? Is it helpful? Is it medicinal? Is it, you know, what is it? So I think that ultimately any vision forward has to start there, this rebuilding. And I think from that, we can find a true unity that we all really are speaking the same language in regards to cannabis and move forward from there. Yes, uh, absolutely. Now that you've mentioned unity, will you talk more about unity in cannabis and how important that is? Absolutely. Um, I think it's, it's, look, unity is important in everything. Um, we are but one human race and we, we divide so much and it's so juvenile. Um, but within the cannabis space right now, what we're, we're really doing the haves and the have nots. Um, we're, we're willing to push forth dollar signs and leave behind our legacies. And it's just not fair. And that's definitely not united. Um, I think that um, what that really looks like is under everybody's really pushing for, uh, you know, federal legalization and decriminalization. And I understand it. I understand they look attra very attractive, but on the scheme of things, when I look out to the United States in which I live and where I'm a citizen and I go, we don't all even speak the same language state to state when it comes to um, who deserves to be in the cannabis space. We're still having conversations about social equity. We're still trying to include people. And so that's not united enough for our federal law of the land to put a blanket law over us when we are underneath that blanket still kind of fighting and tugging and pulling. So I think that true unity means that we open up the states and we start building models based off of what's working. And then we, that becomes our kind of unit, our united voice of cannabis across the country before we say, well, this is the ruling law of cannabis from one coast to the next. We don't even look the same from one coast to the next in cannabis. So how do we apply the same law and rule? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that, you know, that, that comes, back to, comes back to the people. We have got to educate people state to state what cannabis means in their state, what cannabis means to you and understanding while we're doing that equity and inclusion that everyone deserves to be a part of something they can be in. So let's just open the doors and drop these barriers to entry and let's unitedly gather into this space of cannabis and see what type of industry we're creating and how we want it to look for the country. And I get it, I, I get we do need banking. We do need um, tax reform. We need a few things that the government could surely uh, help us with the federal government can surely help us with in this space. It just needs to be done right. You know, I won't even I won't get into deeply uh, to the more act passing um, the uh, the house, but I will lightly say that if that's any indicator, we're not being heard. And I'll I'll leave it I'll leave it there. But that is not what unity looks like for cannabis. Yeah. So in unity and cannabis, is it? everyone who has a stake in cannabis coming together and kind of creating unified principles and, and movement, or is it like, um, cause I've also heard unity within like, especially women and minorities in cannabis, just to make mm -hmm. sure that like, we, we uplift each other. I'm just curious, like what your vision for unity is. If we are all uplifting each other and the blinders come off about race and sex, then there is no, there's no reason to have these huge teams just dedicated to uh, diversity and inclusion. 
we have these, these things are in existence simply because we don't see it that way. Yeah. It's so, you know, once we, it, so unity does look like the stakeholders and those who have uh, any hand in operations of cannabis, if you're not, if you're hiring people and you're still wondering about, well, how many women do I have? How many blacks do I have? How many Mexicans do I have? If you're still worrying about those types of rudimentary questioning questions, then you're, you're part of the problem. If you can't look at a resume and, and, you know, this, it sounds like something that doesn't need to be said, but I, I feel like I need to say this because it's still happening. If you can't look at a resume and then wonder, is this person white or black? If you're still asking yourself those questions in your mind and you know who you are because you're doing it, then you're a part of the problem. You're the reason why we have to have something that tells you something as simple as don't discriminate against people. Hmm. We control racism and sexism. We control those things by playing into it constantly, making it about that. So if we want it to stop, seems pretty simple. Just stop doing it. Change your mind, pivot your mind to a different area and stop doing it. Then we won't have to focus so much time, monies, efforts into diversity and equity and inclusion. You will already understand how to act like a decent human being and not base things off of superfluous views of whatever. Mm, absolutely. And it's like a lifetime's work to dismantle all of that stuff. That's just you bet it is. people. Yeah. You bet it is. We have got a system of racism and sexism that runs incredibly deep for hundreds of years. There's a lot of work. We're not going to get it done and we're not going to get it done from this one conversation. We're not going to get it done from me trying my best to do what it is that I do and the hundreds of other people who are doing the same work. We're not going to get it done like that, that fast because it has been so long. But these are the, the roots of it. When you tear down systemic racism, it has definitive, definitive pain points of why this is going on. And it's a choice. Do we keep doing it or not? And when, since we have kept doing it, Why? Yeah. Why? I mean, it all kind of comes down to power, just power hoarding. Um, just uh, so rough. Um, do you have, do you have any like favorite books or resources that you send to people if they want to do that work on their own? I mean, you don't have to, but. Um, I, I, I do have books that I, that I comb through and that I do refer, but um, I don't right now endorse any, any books. Okay. Um, so this is why I, I don't put out a list. I thought about doing that, um, but I really want to, before I put that out publicly, I want to kind of comb through the things that I've read over the years and really put thought into putting together a list and not just the, the shoot from the hip favorites that I think that I like, um, but what really truly could help. And because I'm glad you asked the question because I've been asked the question a couple of times and it put me on the train of thought of, I should be putting out a, you know, just a small book list of things that I feel have helped um, over the last couple of few decades. Um, and I, I really want to give good thought to that, but I will definitely share it with you and everyone else, um, when it is, uh, together, because I think that's, I think it's wonderful. Uh, please do. Um, I'm going to put a plug for my favorite book that just, it's anybody who is struggling with their body. This is the book I suggest, but I also suggest it for race, class, um, and any other sort of bias training, which is the body is not an apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. It's so good. And it really talks about the intersections of body liberation because it's all of those things. Every oppression intersects on the body. 
And I think so many of us, including white cisgender thin men, right? Like of class privilege, they also struggle with their bodies and they don't even realize it. And so like reading a book like this helps you kind of like start to unpack it for yourself. And I've, I just think like the more work people do on themselves, the more empathy they can have. And the more, like we were talking before we even started recording about the pandemic and mask wearing and just the sincere lack of empathy for other people, which has made this pandemic last so long. Um, and all of that, I mean, comes down to just people not being conscious of what's going on in their brains. And when you read a book like that, that forces you to confront, like, how do you feel about your body and how do you feel about other bodies? And just unpacking all of that stuff, I think it's super helpful. Um, cause it's, it's a deep dive inside to do that work and not just be like, you know, oh, well we, we've hired the X many people, so we're not racist anymore. Uh, which is not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany, um, let's change gears. I would love to hear more about your your personal life kind of growing up. Were you always like uh, an activist, a creator, uh, a sort of frontline person? Were you always different or did you kind of coast until eventually you kind of politicized? Um, no, if I look back uh, even to when I was uh, quite young, I have always been an activist, so to speak. I have always tried to help people through um, times that were adverse for them. I was the, um, the kid who wouldn't allow others to pick on someone. Um, befriended those who everybody's like, I don't wanna be friends with her. I'm not gonna be friends with him. And those, I made a point to make those people my friends um, and give them a voice. I think that is, it's taken a long time to be able to put the hat on um, and in some ways it still feels a little funny, but I think that is my, my calling. My calling is to give a voice to those who have trouble finding theirs um, because we're all deserving. I've always felt that we're all the same. Um, I grew up, I was different from everyone else. I grew up in a predominantly Caucasian environment. Mm -hmm. And um, I was always different. I wasn't treated differently, you know, and I can thank my stars that I wasn't a person who, who really had to deal with the separatism and the racism like that until I was much older. Um, so it didn't cloud my, it didn't keep me from any opportunities or cloud my growth, right? Um, but I've always felt like if, some peop if someone needs someone in their corner, why, why am I not using my energy there? And I've done it. I've done it all my life, and I think I will continue to do that. And it just became, uh, like I said, it's always hard to take that deep look at yourself and go, "What is your true calling? What What is it that you're manifesting? And how is it applied to the world? And are you willing to pick it up and put your hat on and go on? And um, you know, sometimes my hat falls over to the side, and I go, "No, I'm going to put it back on. This is this is what you do, Tiffany. You." You definitely stand up for those who need it. And if someone's voice isn't loud enough and you know that they deserve more, you could put your voice behind it too and, and help out. Ugh. So I think I've kind of always been that activist mindset. Ugh, I love that. And you grew up in California? I did. Yeah. In, um, in Sacramento area? Yeah, Northern California. Yep, Sacramento area, Carmichael. Ugh. Carmichael, oh, I went to UC Davis. So I have a, a lot of heart eyes for, for that whole area. Um, and when did you come out and what, will you tell me your coming out story? 
Sure. Um, you know, mine isn't fantastic. Um, I, you know, because there's a lot out there, people have these great coming out stories or these tragic coming out stories. And um, I think I came out in my own way on and off. Mm. Um, it took the, the only tragic portion of it uh, personally is the fact that it took me so long to um, not accept it for myself, but to stop worrying about what friends and family thought. Um, I went as, I mean, I went as far as I was married to a man um, previously. And so, I mean, I really did toggle back and forth, not in my heart, but really in the whole idea of the environment. And that is, uh, you know, what I call, that's what I call being tragic. That's personal tragedy because, you know, if you're not really living your life, then you're not living your life. So I think um, my true coming out was just that acceptance that who I am and what I feel and what I've always known about myself is my right. It's my right to know it and feel it. And if it's my right to know it and feel it, it's my right to spread it about. Mm. And um, that realization was my true coming out. And it was so liberating. And uh, it helped me to not have to worry what everybody else was thinking about me and my personal life. Because, you know, when we come out, I think that the first thing that everybody wants to know is these deep dive things about your relationships and your, your personality. And it's like, whoa, someone says they're getting engaged. You know, do we start talking about their sex life and their, you know, and how long have you felt this way and all this other stuff? And I go, they don't have rights to that. That's mine. And so I think that um, in the way that I came out, I think that that is, it, it liberated me. And my advice to everybody is to find a way that liberates you because our stories are not all the same on any account. And you might, you might be able to gather courage or inspiration from someone else's story, but ultimately it's got to be your own because it's your right. Yeah. Not a choice. I love the way you talk about liberating your mind and mm -hmm. And all of that, I because I I'm a an unusual person because my mom um, is also queer and uh, I mean she identifies I think as gay but um, it it was interesting because she came out a little bit or, or for a brief period of time when I was very young too young to remember um, for about like three and a half four years and then um, went back in the closet for a long time and um, it was really interesting just to like have. To, to then as a teenager learn about that and then she because she came out again when I was 16 uh, while I was like kind of wrestling with my sexuality but the weirdest part was that I didn't even know gay was a thing you could be even though I had known gay adults my whole young life I didn't understand that that was something like it just like it never clicked right like I just never got it and there were no like out celebrities at that time and, and no media about it and so it was like this weird place where I just felt like I didn't deserve uh, my own sexuality because I didn't really understand it um, and I needed other people to show me what was possible and this has always been true for me is like once I see that it's possible I'm like oh wait okay and I, it's like those clicks but I love that you when you came out it was like a, a fortitude in your mind of like this is this gets to be for me and and really even understanding that like people don't interrogate straight people near the same as they do queer folks um right. so they basically take away our voice mm -hmm. by asking us such personal questions and trying to put our love lives on display 
they take away our voice and we have to take it back. No, I'm not going to answer these questions, you know? And I mean, it's so, it's so funny at my age, still fielding those types of questions. They ask him in a roundabout, well, which of you do this? And I'm like, why are you asking me which of me, <laughs> me and my wife do this or that? What are you trying to get at? What is it that you're really wanting to ask? I just put it right back to them. What are you really wanting to ask me that you're having trouble asking? Go ahead and ask it. And if I feel it's appropriate enough, I'll answer. And if it's not, I'll tell you it's inappropriate. And then that will help you have better conversations yeah. later on. Yeah. That's you just have how, to take it back. That's really smart too, because um, the person who's asking the question is the person who has the power in the conversation. Um, and you don't have to answer every question that someone gives you. No. And the best way to deflect is to, is to respond with a question. Um, I always just like to ask just straight up, like, oh, what's, what's inspiring you to ask them? or, or answer that first. And then I'll answer it. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yep. There's no one way to do it. <laughs> it is, they've got to figure out, I mean, the person has to understand that, oh, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe I am not, I'm overreaching the boundary, yeah. you know, because society tells everyone that it's okay to question us. It's okay to be, to make us into oddities. And so as long as society is backing them up, they need to understand that maybe perhaps you're being supported in crossing boundaries with people. Mm -hmm. And for all of us, and I don't care what situation it is. Um, if, if you feel your boundaries are being crossed, you, you're the only one who can say something. And you, you have every right to, you, it's yours. So you have to take ownership for that and go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to answer that question. Or I would, if you would, you know, phrase the question differently or don't ask that question. Simple as that. It's all acceptable. Yeah. It's okay to stick up for yourself. It is okay to stick up for yourself. If you hear anything in this podcast, hear that. It's okay to stick up for yourself. <laughs> um, and no is a complete sentence. That's my favorite thing about boundaries. Yeah, I love uh, that. Because we're so socialized to just make everything okay and make everyone else okay. And that's not our job. Our job is to be us. As uh, I feel, I mean, to get spiritual, I just feel like we're all unique expressions of God. And we're all just like in this experiment of life. And we, you don't have to understand everybody else. And you don't have to, you don't have to understand people to love them. And they don't right. have to understand you to love you. And seeking to understand is a great way to approach conflict, but it's also like, you don't have to figure it all out. You can just be, um, and we don't teach our kids how to do that. And so we, I don't know, we grow up with a lot of people who are just, um, needing to make other people other instead of understanding right. everyone's different. Yep. Yeah. And the thing, what's, what really has surprised me recently is uh, the more work I do within straight communities or straight dominant communities, um, when you're like the, the out queer amongst that, everyone low-key comes up and not everyone, but many, many people low-key come up and come out to me. They're like, oh, I'm married to a man, but I'm really queer. Right. And like, but they're not out. And so I think like, I think the, the, I think Honey Boo Boo said this and I can't believe I'm quoting Honey Boo Boo. Maybe I can't believe it. But she said, everyone's a little bit gay. And I'm like, you're right, honey, boo-boo. <laughs> Everyone is a little bit gay. Like, it's just so much more common than I think we're socialized to believe. And it's so weird that we other people when, yeah. So, <laughs> sure. community. Tiffany, will you, how are, we, are you willing to tell me how old you are? Just so that folks can relate to you. 
Oh yeah, no problem. Actually, my birthday is on the 16th and I will be turning 48 years old. 48 years old. Uh, so exciting. Um, and a Sagittarius. I am a Sagittarius. Yes. Do you know your moon and rising signs? You know, I think I probably did at one point, but I do not know that anymore. I have forgotten. It's all right. It's not a thing. It's not a requirement. I always uh, wonder though. And it's funny too, because I'll listen back to the podcast and if people don't know their moon and rising sign, I might re-listen to the conversation and get, um, I'm, I'm going to say like, I'm, I'm getting some strong earth vibes from you and some strong fire vibes. I mean, that's serious, obviously, but. And that's, that's for sure. That yeah. is definitely for sure. Um, and I do dig deeply into those. That is a, um, astrology is not a huge part of my spirituality, uh, but divination is. And, um, so I do definitely dig into the sides of fire and earth and how that applies to me and my existence in the universe for sure. Oh, I love that. Tell me more about divination. Like for you, like, what do you do with your divination work? Um, I do like to take either objects. Um, it started, you know, a long time ago with, with tarot, but, uh, you can take objects that are close and personal to you. And you can kind of wrap your energy around those to have a focal point and a source uh, to just kind of guide you through the universe because it's all around us and it encompasses us all, it, us all. And you encounter so much different energy as you interact with people, even through this format, um, that sometimes you need to self-harness, tether, if you will, and um, kind of see what messages are coming back to you as you cleanse your own energy. And uh, I know it, sometimes it sounds out there and I don't really care because it served me quite well in my existence. And I believe that everybody does this. I don't care what denomination of uh, religion that you, you are. I think everyone does this in their own way. We just all call it something different. Absolutely, I totally agree with that. And also um, it, it comes back to also not needing to understand everything that's different with just acceptance and love, just because it's not the dominant paradigm. I mean, to me, this kind of work is very, it's like Tuesday, right? Like this is, I'm so, I like to call it woo, right? Like it's just, I'm woo, right? I'm really into like earth-based spirituality and like the stars and all of that kind of stuff. So I love it. And uh, thanks for sharing that. That's actually a very, do you do any uh, rituals for this time of year, solstice? I have in the past. And, um, you know, I'm glad you bring that up because sometimes you have to just hold yourself to the carpet. And I go, it, it really, I've been so busy over the last few years, um, the last two specifically, that I have not really uh, done any ritualistic style work. And um I would like to bring that. It's one of my goals for 2021 is to is to kind of calm it down and uh, get back into um, doing the rituals that I know that help bridge me throughout the year. And I think it's really important work for everyone, for everyone's spirituality, whatever it is and wh whomever it is that you worship or don't that you uh, have, you, you control your bridge work. You, as you, you cross from one point to the next, build yourself a platform that is comfortable and spiritual for you. Because I know that it makes it easier. It forces us to slow down and really take stock of what we're doing and who's around us. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's something I definitely could say that is lacking 
for me over the last couple of years because you just keep going and building and going and going and you forget, hey, slow down. And really, did you really need to accept that energy or did you just burrow right through it, you know? So yeah, I think it's important for us all to do and I plan on it for sure. Good. Um, what are, is there anything that like uh, a specific ritual that you do for this time of year? If, if you um, could to set the time aside and do it. Um, I, I think I like to do that well first of all I think that this type of work really needs to speak to your existence so uh, one isn't always oh well yeah let me grab that up because it might not be how you harness your energy and then you won't connect right um, I, I love candles and I love incense so those fire and and wind and I try to really connect there and build from there. Um, the fire is the focal point for me and the wind energy from the incense is kind of how I spread it around. That's how I build and give me the direction of where I'm going, right? And so those are those are the, my go-tos typically, but like I said, it has to, it really does have to match who you are. Yeah, it does. So and I, listen. This is why I love to talk about this stuff because for me, spirituality, um, I didn't even start getting into it till I was 31, 10 years ago. And um, it really has been a process of like just connecting with other people and hearing about their practices and like kind of noticing what glimmers, right? Like what, what kind of things sort of speak to me um, and then going to like ceremonies with teachers and things like that who share their practice um, and just sort of vibing into that. I call ritual work slowing down to speed up because it's as you slow down, as you're more connected, I, I believe that God is a supernatural force that can like take one, you know, Instagram post and send everything viral and like answer a lot of questions, right? Like, and, or like having that one conversation with the right person at the gas station that like ignites like your next big idea or something like that, right? So it's, it's when you're aligned, it's like the difference between spiritual connection and spiritual alignment alignment is like lube for life right like it's it's really putting you on the right path to do what's yours so anyway thanks for sharing that um one last question um i know you have uh like pretty much grown-up kids how are you in this season of your life because i know there's probably a few people who listen to this podcast who are also like you know approaching a season of like releasing kids uh from the nest is there anything that's, that's coming up for you around this season or, or just reflections you have? Well, um, I think this is, a, it's an interesting time in parenthood um, because you, you have to find your footing again. It's just like when they're first, when they're first born, you're just like, oh, I would find my footing as this, this parent to this being, right? And I find myself with some of those same feelings now. Um, that I'm just like, well, now I'm parenting this being that's an adult. This is not a baby. I don't need to, I still need to nurture and I'm always going to be mom, but the landscape of that has de definitely changed, um, you know, to more of molding this, these adults that are 18 and 19 um, that still need me. They definitely need me, but they need me in a different way. And so, you know, I find myself having more worldly conversations with them. I can open up about certain things that I've witnessed in the world and related to how the activation will be out there in the world through, you know, one 
in college, um, here in college now. And, you know, just kind of being able to bridge off those experiences in my life that they can apply to their lives now that we couldn't do, you know, uh, 12 years ago. Um, and so it is, it's a new landscape. It's exciting. It's scary. Um, and it's a little sad too, because I have to say goodbye to uh, little things like, you know, you always see your children as little ones, but when you look at this manifestation of human that is, you know, just ready to take the world on and you're like, wow, you know, you don't, you don't even need a juice box or a diaper or just, you know, you have these things flash through their lives of being small and it is, it's a little sad. So that's a new experience um, for me, but it's also exciting and feels great. Ah, that's great. And of course, as an entrepreneur, you have plenty of things to fill up your life. I like to say it's like the 24-7 plan of business. <laughs> you can do a million things a day and never get done. <laughs> yeah, yes, you could. It's that's the way that is the way that it is. Uh, but entrepreneurship is um as in it's in my blood. My my parents were entrepreneurs, and um, so I just I remember the lifestyle and the dedication and the, you know, things and the ups and downs and the things you have to deal with. Right. So it kind of set me up for a good pathway as the businesses that I've, that I've um, operated and owned over the years. Um, you know, I'll just always throwing is, is this the last, just, this is, you know, I was one of many, this it'll be more. And so, uh, you know, it does keep you busy. It keeps you busy and focused. If it's, you know, it's not for everyone, but if it is for you, it will definitely keep you focused and, and busy. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Vanguard Media Online. You find the link in the in the notes or just type it into your little browser, but definitely stay tight in because Tiffany is curating some amazing women in cannabis and just helping to create a space for unity and uplift. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been yeah. great.